This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. All right, Parshas Bamidbor, 5781, everybody. Perik Gimel Pasuk Aleph. We're good. Yeah, yeah. Perik Gimel Pasuk Aleph. The Eile told us Aaron and Moshe, Beyom Dibar Hashem, is Moshe Bahar Sinai. These are the, I, I don't know how you want to translate this, told us his generations, the histories, the children of Aaron and Moshe, as on the day that Akadosh Baruch Hu spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu on Har Sinai. So to start us off, to give sort of like an introduction to what this passage, what it's talking about, that Soramor says, after we mention the Degullim, the subject of the Degullim, all the numbers of Klai, so all the different people that are there, we specifically mention Shevet Levi. So they help watch over B'nai Yisrael so they don't approach the Kodesh and the Kodesh HaKadoshim and possibly die from it. That's why they camped right outside the Mishkan. They have to be there to watch over everyone. So this parak, after we go through all the Degolim, the numbers, everything there, which Perik Gimel starts off about Shevet Levi. This is, first we go through Aaron's children, which turns out to be Moshe's children as well as we see. And then Shevet Levi is counted. Their job was to, to watch B'nai Yisrael, not necessarily to be a around and be counted with B'nai Yisrael, but to watch B'nai Yisrael, make sure nothing bad happens. Haksav Kabbalah says the Vav, the Eilet told us Aaron and Moshe, the Vav over here means this is what Aaron and Moshe did for all of Klau Yisrael. The Eilet told us Aaron and Moshe, that Aaron and Moshe were involved in every single person in Klau Yisrael. Now that could be understood because the way they counted B'nai Yisrael, they walked in front of them. Moshe and Aaron to- sort of looked at them, gave them a bracha as they walked by, and counted them, not one by one, but through chatzi shekel after chatzi shekel after chatzi shekel, and watched them go by, and that was the bracha that they got through. They collected their sefer yichus, their sefer that had their lineage inside it, and counting them over. So toldos doesn't necessarily have to mean the generations after Aaron and Moshe, but rather these are the ways that Moshe and Aaron counted all of B'nai Yisrael, how they were miyaches them, and each counted as something. Remember last week in Bahar Kosa, we talked about the concept how every single person is worth something. Every person has a value. Well, this Parsha continues that trend, says the way the Ksavah Kabbalah is putting it, that every single person had a value. Every single person meant something. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu who's looking at every single one and saying, you're one, and you're one, and you're one. And even though they couldn't count one by one by one by one, their chatzis shekel represented that, and that's when the psukim begin to speak about the different numbers of the Meshavu Levi. After Bnei Yisrael were counted, after they were considered chashuv, after they were considered tolados, something awesome, something that's an ikr behind Klau Yisrael, then we got to the next level. Now the Ramban says we start the numbers of Shevet Levi with Aaron and Moshe. Why Aaron and Moshe? Because they were the leaders of the people. You want to start with the leaders from that Shevet. Just like in the beginning of the Parsha, we go through the Nisim of every single Shevet, the leader of every Shevet, and then we go through the Shevet itself. So to here, we're going through the Nisim, the heads of Shevet Levi, and that's what we mentioned. Besides for that, aside from that, the Kohanim were special, and we realized that. They were considered special, they're considered Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Holy of Holies. Therefore, they're listed first. That's why they're put first over here. Moshe's children are listed with the rest of Shevet Levi because they weren't considered more Chashev than the others. Moshe's kids, Gershom and Eliezer, were listed later on and not put here because they weren't on the level of the Kohanim that were there. The Rush, the Ben Ezra, the Chassam Sofer all talk about this, but that's how the Ramban puts it. The reason why Aaron and Moshe, as well as Aaron's kids, are mentioned here because they were special. They were a level up. The Malbim 
says Moshe Rabbeinu is included here because he was a Kohen. Aaron was a Kohen. His sons were Kohanim. And Moshe Rabbeinu himself served as a Kohen for seven days. He also counts as a Kohen, so they were separated for that reason. Does Nayim Torah says we're simply going through the Degoan. This is Aaron, Moshe, and Aaron's sons were on the east side of the Mishkan, right next to Yehudi Yisachar Zvulin. Kahas was on the bottom, Gershon was over here on the west, Merari was on top, and therefore we're going according to Degolim. The same way we mentioned the flags and the different parts of Klal Yisrael, so too by the Levium themselves, that's why they're separated. But Moshe's children weren't with Aaron and Moshe on the east side of the Mishkan. They were down in the south along with the rest of Kos. That's why they're not mentioned here. That's the reason why they're not there. The Mesha Chochmah says, that's the reason we mentioned Nadav and Avihu. Nadav and Avihu have died. Why would they be mentioned with all the other people here? If they're dead, they're no longer around. Right? If, so the answer is, it's a scary reason. You might wonder, if the whole reason why Shevet Levi was chosen to serve Hashem was because of the Egel Azov, who was the one who started the Egel Azov? It was Aaron himself. You'd wonder, you'd think, like, well, Aaron was highly involved in the Egel Azov. He was the one doing everything for the Egel Azov, making the Mizbech, saying, Chag Lashem Machor. He made the Egel. What in the world is Aaron doing here if that's the reason why Shevet Levi was chosen? And he says, the Meshachachma says, that's why we mention Nadav and Aviyu here, to show even Aaron was punished for his service in the Egel Azov. Correct. At the end of the day, he meant it L'Shem Shamayim. At the end of the day, Aaron deserved to be the coin Gadol for his reasoning behind it. But nonetheless, even he was punished for what he did. And the Abarbanel says something similar. Moshe and Aaron were not Zoha to the bracha the rest of Klau Yisrael had. I want you to think about this, but this is a, it really is, it's a scary thought. The rest of Klau Yisrael saw children and grandchildren grow to be a huge nation. How many people were there in Shevet Ruvain, Shevet Shimon, Shevet Gud, Shevet Dun, Shevet Naphtali? There were tens of thousands of people in every Shevet. And Moshe had two children. Aaron had four kids and two of them passed away. We know of no other children of Aaron and Moshe. And it seems that for whatever reason Hashem wanted, Hashem took away that bracha of more children from Moshe and Aaron, that they weren't Zoha to have all of those children for whatever reason HaKadosh Baruch Hu had. They were obviously great, says the Abarbanel. But that bracha wasn't chal by them like it was by anyone else. And that's why they were separated, so to speak. Put in the front over here to show that not everyone is Zoha to all the brachas in the world. Sometimes you need a little bit of extra siyat edashmaya, and that's something that they didn't have. Okay, now, Rashi says the famous line, it says, Eila told us Aaron and Moshe, Yomdiv Hashem is Moshe Bar Sinai. The very next Pasuk mentions Nadav, Abiyu, Elazar, and Itamar, only the sons of Aaron, not the sons of Moshe. Why not mention the sons of Moshe Rabbeinu? Comes along Rashi and says, anyone who teaches their friends' children, to, to, children Torah, it becomes as if those Talmidim, those students, are his children as well. Moshe Rabbeinu, so to speak, gave birth to Aaron's kids. He was the person who gave them the Torah, allowed them to learn. Therefore, by extension, they were his kids. And that's why it says, Ela told us Aaron and Moshe and goes into Aaron's kids because Moshe Rabbeinu taught them Torah. The Ksav Sofer 
says in Erev and Yud Gimel, hold on one second, Mazi. But it, he says in Erev and Yud Gimel, it was better for man not to be created in the first place. Machlok is based on Obashama. In the end, they agreed it was better for man not to have been created in the first place because we know we're going to sin. But if you learn Torah, that protects you from the eight Zaharam from doing something wrong. That is why teaching a person Torah gives you the ability to create, to be worthy of being created. Because if a person shouldn't be created because they're going to sin, but the Torah is a tablet and it saves him from that idea, from that curse that's out there, then it's even better to learn Torah in such a way because that allows you to be in the world. So when a person teaches someone else's kid Torah, that kid becomes his. It becomes his child because he's, so, so to speak, bringing him into the world in the best possible way. Now, we do see this elsewhere. For example, oh, Mati, what were we going to ask? If we're going to America, then why stop just Moshe Ah, hold on. I'm going to answer that question. I'm going to get there. And it's a solid question. What about everybody else? What about Klal Yisrael? Everybody in the world is Moshe Rabbeinu's kids. You don't just need Aaron's kids. That's an obvious question. Okay, but we see this concept elsewhere. In Malachim Bays, when Elisha sees Elio and Avi go up to the heavens in that chariot that goes up to the heavens, he calls out and he says, Avi, Avi. Rech of Yisrael. He calls him father, father, meaning my Rebbe can still be called my father. I can, I can call him my father and that's not a problem. We darshan the word, you should teach your children means you have a chiv to teach your talmidim like you say your sons themselves. So why does that make any sense? Why is a Rebbe called the father itself? So says the Tosefes Bracha. The word av does not just mean father. Does anybody know how the word, like, avos malachos? What would you say by the word avos, by an av malacha? What's an av? It's not the father of all malacha. What is it? Main categories. Main categories, right? You'd call it almost like a prototype. That's the prototype. There's a prototype out there, and that's what an av is. So the Tosefis Bracha says, when you teach something for the first time, and you are the prototype, you are the ultimate when it comes to bringing that down for Klal Yisrael, you can be called an av. For example, Yavol taught everybody how to live in tents. He's called the avi kol Yoshev Mikneh. Anybody? Yoshev Oholon. Oholon Mikneh. That's what he was. Hold on one second, Shlomo. Yuval made music. He was the avi of anybody who's tofes, kinor, ve'ugav. Anybody who did music, he's called the av. When you teach someone something that they don't know, you can legitimately be called a father because you're giving them something they had no idea about. You are the prototype for them, giving them everything they need to know. You are the av malacha for them, so to speak. The leader that's giving them everything. Shlomo, what's your question? Very good. That's why the Tosefis Bracha doesn't bring it down as a pure proof. He brings Elisha saying to Elio, Avi, Avi. He brings other examples. But nonetheless, we see the concept of an Av teaching something. In these cases, obviously the first time that it's ever happened. But teaching something that others didn't know. And in that sense, I might even tell you, you know, we don't often say that a Rebbe in a Talmud is a father to a child. We don't see that often. But we do find it by Moshe Rabbeinu. And it may be for the same reason. Because Moshe Rabbeinu was the first to teach it. And therefore he's called the Av of B'nai Aaron, of the children of Aaron. It seems like that's the idea behind it, behind it, behind it over here. Clearly, however, says the Tzavrachah, this is conceptual. This is not literal. There's no way to be Mekayim the Mitzvah of Pru Revu by having Talmidim. 
You can't be makayim that mitzvah. The mitzvah of Peruvu is to have children, but not to teach Talmidim. That's not the mitzvah, no matter how much you teach them. The same is true about raising orphans in your home. Raising orphans in your home is a mitzvah. That's a great thing to do. But you're not Mekayim Pru Revu by having orphans inside your home. That's not what happens. That's not it. It's Ki'ilu Yoadam. It's like as if you gave birth to them, but you didn't actually give birth to them. That's the idea. And the proof to that, there's a Gemara in Yavam, Estaf Samach Beis. Rashi says the opinion of Ravasi is that if you bring the Neshamos out of the goof of Shamayim, whatever that goof is where the Neshamos are, it's as if you were Mekayim the Mitzvah of Pru Revu, even though that child then died. Even though the child passed away. Now, we paskin that if a child passes away, they don't count for Puruvu. That you have to have children that are alive when you pass away for you to be Makai Puruvu, either them or their grandchildren, etc., in order to be Makai Puruvu. The mitzvah Puruvu is it's a very strange mitzvah. And the Minchas Chinuch talks about this in Mitzvah Aleph. The only way to be Makai it is when you die. You can do things that you need to do to be Makai it during your lifetime get married, have children, etc. But you can't actually be mekayimit until you die and you have children. Isn't that amazing? It, it's, I, I don't remember. I think the Mitzvah kind of says it's the only mitzvah like that. There's one of the mitzvah that's similar. But there, this may be the only type of mitzvah that's like that. That's the idea behind it. So although, obviously, we don't hold like Ravasi. But it's clear the Ravasi said in order to be Makayim Puravu, you have to bring a goof down from Shamayim. You got to bring that Neshama down from the heavens. That's what you have to do in order to be Makayim the Mitzvah. It doesn't work otherwise. That's what you need to do. However, you should know the party Yosef brings down the Sefer, no to be Yehuda. The Sefer, he is a Sefer Avas Tzion. Brings in a Drush Tas who says, You're Makayim the Mitzvah of Puravu in Ruchmias. I don't know what that means. You're not Mekayimit in physicality because you didn't have a child. But in Ruchnius, you had a child. If you teach young men to be able to learn Torah. It doesn't seem, I don't know, it doesn't seem like he means that you mamish were Mekayim the Mitzvah of Puravu. He's just answering why Ben-Azai did what he did. Everybody knows Ben-Azai was a great sage of the times of Rabbi Akiva who never got married or got married and then divorced his wife and never had children. And when they asked him, he said, what can I do? Nafshi chashka b'toyra. My soul desires learning. I can't get out of learning. How is that an answer to the question? You have a mitzvah puravu. How can you get out of it by sitting and learning Torah? And the answer seems to be, the way they're saying it is, maybe you can be makayim the mitzvah puravu spiritually by having these children that you teach, people that you teach afterward. Otzer Plos, the Torah, brings down Rav Yosef Engel and Gilyone Ashas says the same thing in Yavamas, but again, it's out of context. It's only to, to that way. I don't think this is paskin that you could do it that way. Shlomo, yeah. So we don't know. The fact that he's called Ben Azai and not Rebbe Shimon, which was, would have been his real name, Rebbe Shimon Ben Azai, shows that he was a, at, at, at the most, he was a Talmud Chaver of Rebbe Akiva, at the most, and it seems that he was a little bit different. But it's clear that he must have taught something to someone because in Sota, that Gemara, and Daf Gimel, it seems that he was telling them, I, I don't want to get into it, but the details of something, a halacha, that he was teaching the, the other Talmud and the Talmud were listening to him. So I don't know exactly if he was Mamash the Rebbe or he was just around at the time. Rebbe Kiva was the Rebbe and Ben Azai was around teaching other people. It's possible. I don't know. I have absolutely no idea. Was Shlomo Kluger asked this question in Chokhmah Shlomo and Shulchan Aruch Eben Ezra Alavalov, and he says, it depends on how you understand the word ki'ilu. Does ki'ilu mean literally or not? And I would tell you, almost always, the word ki'ilu means as if. It doesn't mean literally. I, I, I don't understand how that works, but he goes into it and he says just that. 
Torah Tamima says, this is the idea behind the nefesh asher asu becharam. Avram and Sarah created people. They made them by turning them into gerim, by teaching them Torah, by helping them find a Kaddish Baruch who in some way, shape, or form. It's a mila that they were missing beforehand. And in fact, the Gemara and Center Society Test seems to learn that this lesson of where we say that a person giving, teaching a child is like you gave birth to him. They learn it from there. Nefesh, Shashrosh, and You see, you can create people by teaching them Torah. Now, there are Hasidim that take it a totally different way. That if a person is especially kadosh in his relationship with his wife, he has the ability to affect people elsewhere in the world and give birth, so to speak, to children by bringing that kedusha into the world. This is brought down from the Megalia Mukos. The Radamsker quotes it, but he doesn't say from who. And the Kedushas Levi as well. That there's a way of doing this in a certain way with such Kedusha that nothing's wasted. That everything has a purpose and there's always something that's happening. And that's also a Kiyam of Puravu. But they, again, they don't mean it Lamaisa. They mean it in a spiritual fashion. There's a form of Puravu of having children that's, that happens from all this. That's what they're talking about. They're not talking about anything more than that. Okay, the Rebbe Rav Hashel goes into a couple other things as well in the Chanukah Zatorah. Rav Yosef Engel takes one step further and he says the following. This is a crazy question. He says, the Chacham Tzvi in Simen Tzadi Gimel says, and people know this, if a person is born through Shemos Hashem and the Sefer Yitzira, if you make a golem, right? Like Rava did in Sanhedrin Samach Dalit. If you make a golem, you make a person out of absolutely nothing. Does that child count as a minion? Does that person count as a minion? So the Chacham Tzvi felt that it did. It did count as a minion itself. He would count it as an actual minion because he says, if raising a child is ki'ilu you gave birth to him, then making a child must be that it's a real person as well. Hear that, Svara? It's unbelievable. So he said 100% it would count as you actually did something for him. Rav Engel himself, Rav Yosef Engel, was a tremendous kachom who lived in the late 1700s, early 1800s. He says it's clear that creating a person out of nothing qualifies him as your slave. You get to own him. You're, you're going to be able to keep him. But not that you're mamish getting pruravu out of it. That doesn't make any sense, he says. And then he brings up a shaila. It's a really great question. He says, if it really were true that teaching a child makes it as if he's your kid, then if you write a get, and you're supposed to write in the get, Plony from a certain city. Well, let's say the person was born in Chicago, but learned in Baltimore. So where is that person born? Is he Plony from Chicago, or is he Plony from Baltimore? Because he really was born in Baltimore, because that's where he became the child of his Rebbe, who's there in Baltimore. What do you write in the get itself? Obviously, we write Chicago. He's from Chicago. You write those words because that's where he was born, that he was born in Chicago itself. But he says, what if you wrote the other thing and he actually learned that? Let's say you wrote it. In the get, you wrote, Plony, who's from Baltimore, right, who was born in Baltimore, and he wasn't, but he learned in Baltimore, is the get still kosher? Do you still count that as a kosher get? Bidiyevid. Yeah, so he wants to say no. He wants to say no, but that's how he goes through, etc. There's Shulchan Aruch Mishpat. Simon Membesif Tesvav has something similar about this regarding regular shtaros, etc. Then he goes into, he says, the Ayelis Ashaka, Rav Steinman asks, does this count as your Rebbe Mufuk or any Rebbe? If you had a third grade Rebbe who taught you how to first learn Chumash, right, to go into the Pesukim of Chumash, does that count as your father? And then your fourth grade Rebbe, and then your fifth grade, do I have 25 fathers? 
Is that what I have? Because each person that taught me something, and then even more so, if a guy taught me a halacha that I didn't know before, according to the Gemara, you're supposed to call him your Rebbe, because he taught you something you never knew before. Is that guy also my father? Is that guy my father as well? What happens at that point? If I teach my father a halacha, am I my father's father? Is that what I, what, what I call myself? That who stands up for who when it comes to keep it up aim? Some great kashas that go through over here, right? Especially based on these ideas, what ends up happening with this? Chavitz Chaim, he has one sikum that comes from all this. This is one great thing. He said there was a guy who came to him who unfortunately was not able to have any children. And he went to the Chavitz Chaim for a bracha. It didn't happen. Now he was older. He said, what should I do? So the Chavitz Chaim told him, you know what you should do? Go and give, find a bacher in yeshiva who needs money. Find somebody who's going to be learning. Somebody who doesn't have anybody helping him out. There's nothing that this guy can do. And go make sure that he has parnasa. Give him everything he needs for the next however many years to be able to sit and learn the hasmada. Okay, to be able to give it to him. And even though you're not able to have children, you're raising this child as if he's your own. And when he's ready to get married, help him with his wedding. Make sure he has enough money to be able to do whatever he needs to do to be able to get married and to learn, etc. and everything like that. So the guy turned around to the Chavetz Chaim and he said, I think he actually wrote it to the Chavetz Chaim, I think I sort of wrote over here, and he said, how much should I pay? He said, you should pay two and a half rubles a week, ten rubles a month. I wish I knew how much that was, you know, like uh, probably ten bucks, right? <laughs> probably ten bucks. That's all Bachar needs nowadays. It's ten dollars altogether. The man immediately gave the money, gave the ten rubles over to the Chavetz Chaim. Then later on, when the guy needed a tour from the army, Right? They want, he was going to be sent to the army. Remember, back then it was a 25-year army conscription. You couldn't get out of it. So when the guy had that, he went back to the Chavetz Chaim, and the Chavetz Chaim said, if you give a certain amount of money, that will help bribe the officials, whatever it was. The guy paid it. When the guy got married, he helped him. And as soon as he became a rub in a nearby town, he went to the Chavetz Chaim and said, give me someone else. And he started it again, and he did it again. I don't know how many times, but the Chavetz Chaim went to this man's funeral. He said that when this man passed away, he fulfilled this halacha perfectly. So if you can't have that schus of puravu, and that's, that maybe that's not, maybe that's not, there's another way of accomplishing this mitzvah by allowing for another person to be born in such a fashion. And again, halachically, are you mekayim puravu through this? It seems not that way. But you're mekayim something spiritual puravu in this way. If you're mekayim the spiritual puravu, that's what you should do. This is what a person should get involved with. That's a beautiful, beautiful lesson from the Chavetz Chaim. Now, Mizrahi says it's interesting. Right? Obviously, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't teach them anything. Look at the wording of the Pasuk. Biyom diber Hashem is Moshe bar Sinai. On the day that Hashem spoke to Moshe in Har Sinai. That's weird. He taught them then? you think he taught them later. Now, granted, granted, Moshe Rabbeinu spoke out the Aserah Zedivros, right? It wasn't like HaKadosh Baruch said everything. Moshe Rabbeinu finished off the other eight of the Aserah Zedivros. So he did teach them. But it seems weird that it happened. But it seems the Mizrahi says he started on that day and it went on from that day on. Then it says they were macabre upon themselves to learn at that point. So it's like they had already done it. The Moscow David also has an answer over here. But then the question is asked. Who asked this before? Mati, this is you, right? What about all of Klai Yisrael? Every single person in Klai Yisrael learned Torah by Moshe Rabbeinu. So Moshe Rabbeinu is the father of all of them. What you're mentioning, just the Bnei Aaron, here's what it should say. Ela told us Moshe, everyone. Everyone. Now, technically, it did do that. You remember the Vav at the beginning of the word? The Ela told us Moshe? The Vav could go back and say, all of these are the told us of Moshe and Aaron's kids and the Levium. It could be that that's what it means over here. But something seems a little bit off. Something seems that, that we're missing something over here. So here's what the Gurariye says. 
Moshe Rabbeinu taught Klal Yisrael because he was commanded to by Hashem. Hashem told him, Lehorosam, you have to teach them. This is in Shmos, Lamed Beis, Pasuk Yud Beis. Chavdalid Yud Beis. Lehorosam, you have to teach them. Did Moshe Rabbeinu have a choice not to teach them? Was he allowed not to teach them? So he was chayiv to. He had to teach them. But here's the difference. The children of Aaron, he taught more than he taught all of Bnei Yisrael. For Bnei Yisrael, he taught them during the day. They came to him. He spoke to them. He gave them the Debrei Torah. He allowed them to learn everything. And at night, the Bnei Aaron pushed their way in. And they said, Moshe Rabbeinu teach us more. Moshe Rabbeinu was not chayiv to teach them. But he taught them extra. So for Bnei Yisrael, he is not their father. He did what he was supposed to do. That's his chiyuv. He was told to do it. That's the mitzvah. So he did it. That you are not the father for. But you're the father if you do this, if you teach them now, when you're not supposed to be teaching, if you do something extra, like he did by the Bnei Aaron, for them, he is their father. Sifzeh Chum says a different answer, but it's weird. I, I think he might have, I, I think he bases it on this Gorariyet. The Maskele David based himself on the Rambam in Halachus who says, although you're chayiv to teach every single person in Klai Yisrael, a person should be makdim his son to everyone else in Klai Yisrael. You should teach him more than everything else. He says, since he taught the Bnei Aaron before he taught everybody else in Klai Yisrael or more than he did, they're considered his son because the Rambam holds. You're chayiv to teach your son more than you teach everyone else. That's the idea behind of what you're supposed to do based on the Seder Mishnah and Erevin Daphne and Dawid. It could be he treated them a little bit differently, a little bit differently from everybody else and therefore they're considered his kids. Then Itziv says something amazing. This is really, really unbelievable. He says, teaching Torah is different. Look, honestly, can, can you all pull out a Chumash and read in Hebrew? You all can read it in Hebrew, right? It's not like if I would tell you a Pusik, I'd be teaching you a Pusik. That's not teaching you a Pusik. All you got to do is open up a Pusik, open up a Gemara. You can technically do it yourself. Art school's right there. If you have a problem with the language barrier, you can just learn it by yourself. I'm not teaching anything. So what is teaching Torah? What does teaching Torah mean? Says the Nitziv, and he says this all over the place. This is a Yesod that the Nitziv has literally throughout the entire Chumash. And he goes through it again and again and again, speaking about Moshe and Aaron, Moshe and Aaron, Moshe and Yoshua. He says, teaching Torah means telling them Torah Shaba'al Peh in a way in which they could be mafalful, think about it, consider the different ideas, and create chidushim through what they're learning. That's what it means to teach Torah. Not for me to say, all right, guys, let's read this passage, the Ele told us Aaron. That's not teaching. Granted, it is by little kids. But it's not teaching when you're dealing with older people who can do it by themselves. If they can do it on their own, you're not teaching them. What are you teaching? What does it mean to teach? To show a way of Torah Shabal Peh where they're learning something that they wouldn't get anywhere else. See, what's the point of these shiurim in Iyun that you get all the time? Why is every yeshiva concentrating on Iyun? On getting, delving deep into a Gemara? Why not just do Bikiyas and learn as much Gemara as you can? Just go from page to page to page to page. Because what the Rebbe's teaching you is not the concept of read a Gemara, davening it up and finishing it, right, like it's just a sitter and you're going through davening. The point of that Rebbe is supposed to say, let me give you an idea that comes from this Pusik, that comes from this Gemara, in which now I want you to think about it, and I want you to consider, and I want you to apply it in other places and in other ways. Says in Itziv, the, the line 
in Sanhedrin, is Hamaase Eschavero, Lidivre Torah, if you force your friend to learn Divre Torah, my Lulavakas of Kilo so then it's like you caused him to be born. Says Rashi, not if you force the guy to learn. If you teach the guy how to apply the learning Lamaisa, if you teach the guy how to work it into your system and to do things around, that's when you're really teaching Torah. At that point, B'nai Yisrael were not on the level yet. They were all learning Torah Shabbat Chsav. They were learning the basic ideas. So he's telling them a mitzvah. He said, all right, guys, Kabedis Avicha And they heard it and they got it, whatever. Very few people were on the level to be able to hear the Torah Shabal Ped, the level above, the next idea. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu was teaching them. Moshe Rabbeinu taught the B'nai Aaron the extra level. So the rest of Klau Yisrael, he's not their father because all he taught them was something that they technically could have done on their own. Well, Moshe Rabbeinu taught the B'nai Aaron was something that they couldn't have gotten anywhere else. And when being their Rebbe in that fashion, that's when he's called a father. And by the way, as a side note, that does answer our Ayala Sashachar from before. It doesn't have to be a Rebbe Mufuk, but it has to be a Rebbe who's teaching you something outside of the text that you would not have been able to look up on your own. That's when a Rebbe is someone who could be the father to the child. He's teaching you something that's different, that's off base, that's something totally different from what the regular stuff is. That's what creates him into a Rebbe. Yeah. Not to a father. So, technically, yeah, I, I, it's a good question, Shlomo. Like, what happens if you're teaching them halacha that they could very easily look up? The truth is, sometimes people are lazy. I don't know if you know this. Like, there are people who just won't do it. If they're not going to do it, then this is the result. You teaching them the halacha that they wouldn't have looked up or wouldn't know how to look up, or even if they could, they just don't. That might be considered still teaching. That's like teaching a second grader or a third grader where that mamish, that Rebbe could be considered a father to the son. It could be because he wouldn't have gotten it otherwise without that Rebbe. Granted, he could have figured it out or somebody else could have done it, but you did it. So I think that's different. I think that halacha in which you're teaching them, which they wouldn't have known otherwise, even though they very easily could have looked it up. Right? They could have looked it up. I think that's a little bit different. As opposed to someone who's already learning or already doing things, then the Rebbe has to be in a higher caliber. It has to be teaching them something that's a little bit more than what's the, right there in front of them. There's more. Rav Sternbach. I, there's so much. The Rav Sternbach, the Oznayim Latorah, the Shachal Latorah, the Kol Ram from Moshe Feinstein, how a Rebbe teaches the Talmud how to live his life. It's about Derech Eretz and teaching the kid, this is what you're supposed to do as a human being. And that leads the person in it. That's the highest level for every Talmud to be able to reach what the Rebbe is and to be like that Rebbe. That's where you have a father and a son, so to speak, a father and a son type of relationship that's out there. Rav Sternbuch says a crazy answer. He says, Moshe Rabbeinu was not Zoha that his children followed in his footsteps and became leaders of Klai Yisrael. Gershom and Eliezer, we don't see them again. We see them in Divri Ayamin. Eliezer had many, many children. But we don't see Gershom and Eliezer doing anything. Aaron was Zohar to that bracha. Aaron's children followed in his footsteps. Elazar and Itamar had children, and they themselves were Kohan and Gedolim. We don't know if Itamar ever became a Kohen Gadol. He had the status of a Kohen Gadol. We don't know if he was the Kohen Gadol. Elazar, definitely. I don't know if Itamar lived out to be able to do this. But nonetheless, Elazar and Itamar were people that followed in their footsteps. So what we're saying is, you'd think Aaron was greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. Look at Aaron's kids. Look at Moshe Rabbeinu's kids. Moshe Rabbeinu's kids did not get it. Aaron's kids did. So I might think Aaron's greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. For that, that's why the Pasuk did not want to leave Moshe Rabbeinu out. Eila told us Aaron, technically. 
But don't think that Moshe wasn't involved in making them great, that it was only Aaron, and that's that. Moshe Rabbeinu helped create the children of Aaron, and therefore you can attribute that greatness, not just to Aaron, but to Moshe himself. As for Moshe's kids, boy, it's, it's scary. It, we don't have an answer. We don't have an answer. We'll see a chsam sofer, but we don't have a full answer for it. The Kliakr goes into this as well. He asks and he says, well, I, I mean, why later does the Pasuk just say, Be'eled b'nei Aaron, these are the children of Aaron, if really they should have been the children of Moshe throughout the whole way, all the way through? And he gives a different answer. Him and the Orachayim HaKadosh both give a very unique answer. Listen to his answer. He said, That's what it says in Parshish Devarim at the end of Akev. It says, HaKadosh Baruch who wanted, was very ext- angry at Aaron and wanted to destroy him and kill his children. And Moshe Rabbeinu sat there and davened, davened, and begged HaKadosh Baruch Hu, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, please let the children of Aaron live, and he was answered. Nadav and Aviyu had to pass away, and Elazar and Itamar survived. Why that had to happen? Because Nadav and Aviyu didn't consider Moshe Rabbeinu their Rebbe. So to speak, they did die, and Moshe Rabbeinu rebirthed them. Do you get the idea? It's like a crazy idea. It's not like just that he taught them Torah. He caused them to live literally by davening for them, allowed them to be reborn, even though Elazar and Itamar technically should have died. None of you were in Zoha because they didn't consider Moshe Rabbeinu their Rebbe. They were Mora Halacha Bifnei Rabbim. They passed in front of the Rebbe. But Elazar and Itamar did get it, and for that reason they were mentioned over here. So the Orachayim Akadu says, because he davened them, because he created them, therefore they're called his Banim, they're called his children, that's why they're mentioned over here. Now, the Aznayim Torah says, well, then why mention another review at all? Another review shouldn't be mentioned. If they didn't survive, if it's not because of Moshe's tefillahs, then why would it work? So the answer is, it did work. No, sometimes you wonder and you sit there and you're just like, look, my tefillahs didn't work, right? I davened for somebody to get better and it didn't work. Yes, it did. Did that guy die right then? No. Maybe he was supposed to. And your tefillahs caused him to live an extra day. He had 24 more hours because of you. When you go up to a, a Shemaim after 120, I've never liked this. You know, like when a person says, like, we had so much tefillahs, so many tailum, we had so much for that person, and the person died anyway, so where did it all go? It went for that person. You know, sometimes they'll answer, like, it went for something else. It went for that person. The person lived an extra minute. Just a minute of life. You know how much that's worth? You don't think a minute of life is worth 100 people saying tehillim for an hour? That's one minute of life. I think it's totally worth it for one minute of life. So yeah, it did work. It just didn't work the way you wanted it to. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry about it. It just didn't work that way. So as Naimah Torah says, it did work. None of you didn't die at Har Sinai. They died later. Moshe Rabbeinu's tefillahs worked. They died six months later. They had six more months of life. That's what it worked for. So that's the idea behind it. That's why they're mentioned right over here. There's a chido over here as well. That's the idea. The Imre Ames goes through this as well, that the Gzir was on Aaron. There's a Berbas Sada over here. He doesn't like that answer over there, but this is it. And here's a really sad Chsam Sofer. It's one of those that just is absolutely unbelievable. You can't believe somebody says this. If you see, there's a Chsam Sofer here with the Tzferes Yonasan. I'm actually going to skip that right now because we don't have any time. Skip to the Chsam Sofer Taurus Moshe. Even though those children right, of Aaron that died were considered Moshe Rabbeinu's children because they learned Torah from him? So this is what he says. Moshe's children, even though they were his actual children with his DNA, they're not mentioned at all because they never reached that level. Listen to this. This is because the yoke of all of Klal Yisrael was on Moshe Rabbeinu to the point where 
he was not, again, I, I, I'm just going to time out right now, okay? I'm not saying this. <laughs> this is not Sri Zimmerman saying this about Moshe Rabbeinu. This is the Chassam Sofer saying about Moshe Rabbeinu. The yoke of Klai Yisrael was on him that he was never mashkiach on his children. He couldn't take care of them because he was taking care of everyone else. He had 600,000 people to take care of, let alone the women, children, the older men and the younger kids, you know, everybody else out there. He couldn't take care of them. And therefore he says, it sounds like Nadav and Avihu and Elazar and Itamar pushed their way in to be mevakshe Hashem, this is the wording of the Chassam Sofer, to be mevakshe Hashem, they pushed their way in and said, Moshe, teach us more. Moshe, tell us more. Moshe, do us more. But you know who didn't do that? Gershom and Eliezer didn't do that. Moshe Benu couldn't run out, grab them, and bring them into the Ohel. He wanted them to do it on his own, but he had his responsibilities. None of you did it. Eliezer and Yitomar did it. Gershom and Eliezer didn't. He says, he, they, and he didn't have time to pull them in, they didn't want to, so they never became part of the inner circle. And that's why you never hear of Gershom and Eliezer ever again. That's scary. Scary. Because Eli told us our emotion. You don't think Moshe Rabbeinu taught his own kids? Of course he did. But he didn't really. Because another one of you got the extra stuff. Gershom and Eliezer didn't get anything extra. They just stayed as they were, and that was it. Is that the saddest thing you've ever heard before in your life? Elena Shabach understands from here you cannot possibly fulfill your chiyuv of chinuch habanim, by just doing what you need to do, speaking to them the once in a while, right? Especially with all the things that are out there in the world today. Your chiyuv is to spend time with your kids, to show them that you care, you're willing to give up things for them. Whatever that is, willing to do something. Only then, do your kids see it, that's when you're going to have atzlacha. Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't, but we have to. He gives an example of a father whose son told him, Agav, he happened to be davening for the Amud, right, in his yeshiva, that Shabbos. His father lived an hour and a half away from that yeshiva, an hour and a half walk from that yeshiva. So that morning, on Shabbos morning, he woke up his little kids, and he walked to the yeshiva with, with his young kids to be there for his son davening for the Amud, right? Obviously, his son was shocked. And then walked back afterward to show his son how much he cares, how much he wanted to be there for him at the time that he was dominating for the Ahmed. He said, that's the idea, to be able to will, willingly give up something and do something for that child, to do something that's a little bit extra to make them see exactly that. That's the, I, I, such an unbelievable answer and such an unbelievable thing to do, such a crazy thing to say over here. I'm going to end with this. The Torah more asked why Moshe Rabbeinu's aren't, kids aren't mentioned here the same way we just asked. So we already answered this. Pasuk was only referring to Kohanim, right? And those are camped with them and that's why they weren't mentioned. He says, children are only mentioned, says the Torah more, when they complete what their fathers did. If they complete the job that their fathers started in this world. Moshe Rabbeinu was perfect. He didn't need anybody to complete his mission. So therefore, his kids are not really considered his kids. They weren't mashlim what he had to do. And that's not a blame on them. He's not blaming them. Saying there was nothing that they could do. He did everything he was supposed to do. The part of says a little bit differently. He says, Zvachim Kofalvam Abez. Moshe could not see the Negayim of Miriam. The Tsaras that was on Miriam, Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't see it. Why? He was a Zor. He wasn't considered a real Kohen. Why couldn't Aaron look at Miriam and judge her Tsaras? Says the Pasuk. He was related to Miriam. He was her brother. What's the obvious question? Why didn't you just say that about Moshe Rabbeinu? Moshe Rabbeinu is also the brother of Miriam. Just say, Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron both can't see because they're relatives. But it didn't. It said Moshe couldn't because he's not a Kohen. As if that's the real reason, not because she, he was her brother. 
What's pshat? Listen to this pshat. The Marsha says, you can't apply such a line. He gives a story, this is the part of Yosef, from the Sarach Mikotsk. He says he was visited by a relative we hadn't seen for very many years. He didn't treat him as a relative would. The Sarach, the Sarach didn't treat him like the way he would. So he said to the Rebbe, I'm your flesh and blood. Here's what the Rebbe answered. He said, so is my back. But I wouldn't recognize my back if it was in front of me. You hear it? He just didn't recognize. I don't know if that was a total insult, and it sounds like a total insult, but that's what he was trying to say in front of him. Moshe Rabbeinu had no shaykhis to Gashmias. No shaykhis. He couldn't be considered Miriam's brother anymore. You can't, you can't consider somebody like that your brother. Aaron is the brother of Miriam. Aaron was involved with Miriam. But Moshe Rabbeinu, how can you consider him Miriam's brother? He's so different. A Kohen Gadol can't become Tommy for any of his relatives. Why can't a Kohen Gadol be Tommy for any of his relatives? Because he's not related to them anymore. He's got a new job now. He's doing something different. He's on his side. He's doing something of his own volition. So when that happens, it's, he's at Kaddish Baruch who's relative. He's no longer related to these people. So too, we list the spiritual children of Moshe Rabbeinu, but not the physical children of Moshe Rabbeinu. Why? Because yeah, Moshe Rabbeinu had kids. Moshe Rabbeinu had a sister. But he's no longer considered the brother of Miriam. He's no longer considered the father of Gershom and Eliezer. He's no longer considered the relative of anyone. He is Moshe Rabbeinu, who taught Klau Yisrael, and the only Toledos of such a person is the Talmidim that he created. There's no one else like that. There's no one else that you can put in the same category. Everyone is considered a husband, a father, a relative of some sort. Even the coin Gadol, it's only in mindset, right? Not in anything else. This is something that's special for Moshe Rabbeinu that made him different from every single other person out there. That's why we say in Parsh Baloscha, Achos Aharon, Miriam is the sister of Aaron. We say Shnei Baneha by Tzipora and her two kids. They're her kids, not Moshe Rabbeinu's. Because Moshe Rabbeinu is completely different when he took on this job for Klai Yisrael. That's, that's the sacrifice that a person would have to make in order to be that person for Klai Yisrael. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? We'll stop with that, guys. Have a great Shabbos, everyone. Let's stop in